Welcome to Weekly Neurosis. Neurosis. I'm Nate. And I am Ethan. And this is Obsessions Volume 1. Yes, exciting. The first go-around. So we're going to do this periodically. I just want to explain the obsessions concept. Obviously, weekly neurosis. Neurosis is like kind of an obsession on something. And every, what, like four to eight episodes-ish? Yeah, we don't have to put a timer on it, but every now and then. Periodically. Yeah. We're going to do an, an episode where we only talk about stuff we're obsessed about now we'll still do the regular like news items um we're still going to do like by the numbers and other stuff like that because it'll function as a weekly episode but yeah yeah this way kind of it opens the door for us to talk about you know things that are maybe a little bit older and we both can kind of cover different things in certain areas so i think that's a i think this is going to be a cool thing to try out yeah and i didn't i'll be honest i didn't play like my top album this time go around. What do you mean, like of all time? Of all time. Oh, neither did I. Yeah, I just kind of went with an album that I listen to a lot, even still, even though it's pretty old. Sure. But yeah, this is uh, this is our first try at this. We'll see how it goes. Yes, sir. And in the meantime, let's crack these beers, man. Yes, today for beer we have brown sugar uh, from Lagunitas Brewery. And uh, when I got this on the shelf, it was described by Festival Foods as a barley wine, um, which upon further review, I, 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 I'm not 100% sure if it could be considered a barley wine. I actually discussed this with my mother, who knows a whole lot about beer. A lot. Yes. Uh, we looked it up in, on Beer Advocate. It's described as an American strong ale, which apparently is kind of a subcategory of barley wines. Um, and I think... I'm not familiar with barley wines. I've never necessarily had one, but uh, this beer is pretty potent. It comes in at 9.8% alcohol by, by volume. It's very potent. Um, and I had one of these the other day, and I think I can describe it as being... I almost feel like this is almost like an IPA, and I think just from the, 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 the nose, it's very hoppy. Yeah, I get a little, like, almost like a muted IPA smell, which is kind of different. Yes, but it's also a lot sweeter and maltier than most IPA. It's basically an IPA. It's it's I would almost describe it as an imperial, which basically means double everything. But mm -hmm. it's a very very potent, lots of stuff going on in it type beer that I I, I personally com, com, uh, compare this particular beer, the brown sugar, uh, to a um, to a to a yeah, an IPA just because it's it's way happier than I was expecting, but uh, it's really good and uh, I believe it's available seasonally in the winter mm -hmm. from Lagunitas and uh, any place you can find their beer, which is pretty widespread. Um, you should be able to find this. Yeah, they have national distribution. I think they're still independent, though. I they, don't think they were purchased by anybody. No, but exactly, and I believe they actually have two locations now too. I believe they also have a, a location in Chicago because yeah, original it says, uh, Petaluma, California, and Chicago, Illinois. Yes, I didn't and, know that. Yep, and the Chicago 
uh, location is is a newer addition, and I'm not sure if they're brewing there mm-hmm. or what. I kind of get the sense they might be, which would certainly help with distributing. Just, yeah, that's something I've noticed late, lately is that um, like breweries that are bigger, so like the Dogfish Heads, the like Bell's Founders, stuff like that, the big brands that people are really familiar with, mm-hmm. they're not getting into spirits. It's like really, yeah. It's because uh, Dogfish Head has this Dogfish Head. They have a spirit line now. Okay. And no, we're not talking about like the things you summon. No, we're talking about booze, the stuff we do shots of. Yeah. But they, um, <laughs> they, yeah. I know. I don't know what that trend is. I would assume if you do one, it maybe that's like a similar skill set or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of I've not, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, because they a lot of them do. I, I know that. Um, I don't know, I can't remember if it's Founders or Bells does it, hmm. but it's like the new thing now. Well, that's so, cool. So, yeah, you can get your full line. Well, and this is strong enough that a lot of people would almost classify it as a liqueur, because a lot of liqueurs will come in between 8 and 15 to maybe 20%. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is just a beer meant to be enjoyed on its own. It's got a nice frothy head that's certainly sticking with it, and it really yeah. kind of looks, just looking at it, it kind of looks just like a red amber lager or, or ale or something like it that. It does. The copy on the bottle is pretty weird. It says, we believe this special ale is something unique. Feeding brown sugar cane to <laughs> otherwise cultured brewery yeast is akin to feeding raw shark to your gerbil. It is unlikely to ever occur in nature without intervention. And it looks weird besides, but it has, but it has happened and now it's too late. Cool. Yeah, man, brewers are weird. <laughs> Beer speaks, people mumble. There's even a part here where after it has all the different states and how, how many cents each bottle is worth if you hand it in, it has in parentheses, whoa, dot, dot, dot. Not sure what that's all about, but there it is. Whoa. And it's a good, it's a good beer. There's a lot going on in it. It's definitely a sweeter beer and, and a hoppier beer, but I actually, I really like it. I was I think really that aids. Yeah, that aids to the drinkability of this, I'll mm-hmm. be honest, because this is a 9.8, so most people, this would be, I could guarantee a lot of people would probably like this beer. But if they had one or two of these, they'd probably be in the bag pretty quick. Oh yeah, yeah, it's potent, and it does. It's not boozy either. No. It doesn't have a, a super alcohol flavor to it. Like some stronger beers can be almost overwhelmingly alcoholic. Yeah, especially IPAs too. Mm-hmm. I wonder when Hop Slam comes out. That's got to be spring. Is that a spring beer? Hop Slam? Uh, I'm not sure. I know that's um, up there in the ABV as well. Yeah, it's like ten or eleven. It is 10%, yes, and it says uh, it is available in the winter as well from Bells, which actually, I think I saw Hop Slam in cans the other day. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Why Everything's not? there. They're switching over to that. A lot of breweries are canning now, which was kind of at one point seen as the lowly way to... But it's easier to seal it. It's easier to seal, and I think it kind of, I think cans are just in general cooler looking. You can mm-hmm. do more with them. And I know, you know, Surly is a company we've, a brewery we've talked about before, twice, that they can a lot of their beers. Um, Tallgrass as well, out of um, uh, Kansas. Mm-hmm. They, they have the can Buffalo Sweat. The Buffalo Sweat oatmeal yeah, style. They also have, really they have the uh, Velvet Rooster, Ethos which is good. Too, right? Ethos IPA, and then they have the, oh man, I can't remember what it's called. The Oasis Imperial. Yeah. Uh, ESB. That's a really, really good beer, too. But yeah. yeah, lots of canned beers. This one isn't canned, though. That's floating around. Bombers are getting big, too. Yeah. whole bunch of stuff. For sure. Craziness. I'm going to Madison this weekend, so I'm going to pick up some beer I can't find up here. Nice. I got a bomber to drink this weekend. It's an Alaskan brewery one. It's like their... 
coffee campfire porter or something. Nice. It's going to be good. It's going to be delicious. So this is Obsessions. We're just obviously talking about what we're, I think, both pretty obsessed about beer. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so how we're going to do this is we're going to do a movie of the week. And our week, movie this week was Mulholland Drive, the 2001 release yes. from David Lynch. We actually watched the Criterion version of it. We'll talk about that. Um, and then we're going to do two albums. Ethan, what's your album that you're obsessed about? The album I'm obsessed with that I'll be talking about today is Now Here Is Nowhere by The Secret Machines. Nice. A uh, psychedelic rock band that is no longer a thing, but we'll talk more about that later. So it's extinct. Kind extinct of. Extinct music. Kind of. They kind of have a weird history. Kind of a sad history, too, but... Yeah. And I'm going to be doing Dr. Dre's album 2001, pretty much anyone that was raised in... My generation kind of came of age to that album, so I'm going to talk about that. We'll both tell you why we're obsessed with those. But, um, yeah, so this is it. Yeah. Obsessions. Volume 1. Volume 1. We got some. We got a really interesting movie to talk about. Yeah. So. And uh, the Criterion Cut, which was freaking beautiful. Yeah, they do great. They do. So, Weekly Neurosis will be right back to talk about our movie of the week, Mulholland Drive. In the break, you'll be hearing one song each from each album that we're obsessed with. Yes. All right, we can know, so we'll be right back. They ain't never love no gold. All the hood rats still shake it for me. All my true fans still check it for me. All the real smokers know. They ain't passing nothing but dope and Real trees. Chronic leaves. No seeds. When I had your last night. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. This is Obsessions Volume 1. Yes, sir. So maybe we're going to be like, this is Obsessions Volume 102. Maybe. I don't know that I'm, I'm obsessed with that many. It could be, you know, I'm, I was just thinking, it could be Obsessions where it's like an album we're obsessed about at that moment in time. Yeah, well, I almost picked an album that I've been listening to, like a newer release that I've listened to like 100 times in mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks, but I didn't. Yeah, I've been listening to the 1975, and I have no idea why. Yeah, I've heard people talking about it, but I don't know. It's kind of, I've been listening to Matmos, which is a yep. electronic band, and their newest album is nothing but them recording all these sounds that a washing machine made and mixing it into yeah. a coherent album, and it's the best. But that's that takes a lot of skill. Th there's vi there's a video on that. YouTube of them doing it live. Like, you wouldn't believe it. Like, there's a washing machine on stage... And there's like a keyboard hooked up to all these mics that are hooked up to it. And the one guy's kind of periodically walking back and forth from the washing machine. The other guy's kind of like tapping on different parts of it to get all these different beat sounds. They're like sticking the microphone down in it when water's flowing through it. It's weird. That is bizarre. It is the coolest. But I'm not talking about that today. Even though I just did. What? What? Space-time continuum. <laughs> Holy shit. No, but welcome in again to our obsessions. This week we watched the 2001 film Mulholland Drive, which is a David Lynch film. The plot is, after a car wreck, car wreck on the winding Mulholland Drive renders a woman am amnesiac? That's bad grammar. That's on IMDb. She, she and a perky Hollywood hopeful search for clues and answers across Los Angeles in a twisting venture beyond dreams and reality. It was directed by David Lynch and also written by uh, David Lynch. If you know who he is, he's a weirdo. He is a 
total weirdo. They had eight total producers, so we won't get into that. But it's uh, featured Naomi Watts. You mentioned this is like one of her first big films. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, uh, Laura Herring and also Justin Thoreau, who most people today know from the HBO series The Leftovers, and he's married to Jennifer Aniston. Mm. And everyone else is a bit actor. So Ethan, what did you think of this movie? Um, okay, well, I kind of have a, a kind of a weird history with this movie. I mean, it's from 2001, mm -hmm. right? And we picked it for Obsessions for a reason. I think both of us have seen this movie more than once, and it's certainly the kind of movie you savor over. And I really, really, I like this movie. I'm drawn back to it again mm -hmm. and again and again. But, but, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's a movie that's hard to pin down. It's a movie that as soon as I think I'm coming to an understanding of what it is, what it's trying to say, I, I, I lose that grasp again. It's a totally surreal, kind of nightmarish, fever dream of a movie that isn't necessarily trying to make any one point, but it's, but it's a movie that I, you know, I've purchased and I watched again and again because it's super intriguing. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think there are some issues with it, but I really, I really enjoy this movie. But like a couple of movies we've talked about, it's really not for everybody, and it's best you know what the deal is before you watch it because it's long too. It's two and yeah. a half hours long. It is, and it does. Like you said, I think a fever dream is kind of the best way to describe it. There's like parts of stories and the characters somewhat intersect, but in reality, nothing really. It sort of follows a continu continuum of a story, mm -hmm. but it never really truly gets there. There's no payoff in the traditional sense no. that you get answers to the questions, and it, it, and it, it's tough to talk about because the way the movie kind of wraps up. I think does answer some questions, at least about the thematic things the movie's trying to say, but if you're in this for the story, which is ultimately this woman doesn't remember who she is, trying to figure out who she is, mm -hmm. and how it's connected to this movie studio, or this movie production kind of getting shut down and being controlled by the production company, mm -hmm. if you're looking to see how all these things come together in some nice package, you are going to be... Your SOL. Yeah, you're going to be real confused, because this movie is not trying to, to, to give you answers. It's trying to paint this ridiculous portrait that's just unsettling and kind of funny and satirical, but scary. Mm -hmm. There's just a ton of stuff that, that goes on in this movie. Yeah. And they don't, there's a lot of stuff that they leave you like hanging with. A mm -hmm. lot of different elements that occur and no explanation whatsoever, and then they just move on. Mm -hmm. uh, but de definitely, definitely not for everybody. If you just hear this podcast, unless you've seen the film, don't go out and buy the Criterion Collection version because <laughs> no, no, no. it's it's not really that great. But you have issues. Tell me about a few of your issues. With well, this film. I, mean, I guess when I say I have issues, the main thing I, I I don't think works having seen the movie more than once is that it is like I said, it's long, and I don't think it always justifies that length. I do think, especially in the first half of the movie, it's maybe a little bit redundant and it goes on too long. I think this could have been shorter by a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I think the first time I saw this movie, which was, I mean, I've seen this movie probably seven or eight times, if not more than that. Um, the first time I saw this movie, I was, you know, transfixed the entire way because it's so strange and it's so moody and atmospheric that it kind of sucks you in. But it is, is, it's kind of a paradox because I, I think this is a movie you want to see again to try to figure out, even though I don't think anybody will ever truly have a full understanding of this. But I also think one of the faults comes in rewatching the movie. And as a, have you, if you've seen it before, I think some scenes kind of drag on a little bit. And I do think as a result, it feels too long, which 
can be a, an issue for people, especially um, in a movie like this that doesn't have any action or anything to speak of. It's very mm -hmm. slow and strange. So I just think it's it's maybe a bit too long and it tries your patience a bit, but I think it makes up for it ultimately. So it's not a huge complaint, but that's my major fault yeah. with the movie, I think. And that was mine too, because it does drag a little bit in certain spots. And I can see where, you know, you could be, if you if you were just bored out of your mind and then watch this film, you'd be like, is this is this almost over? But it's still... Maybe though. Yeah, I mean, it, it catches you in and, and you're definitely... It, they do what I think they excel at is they do kind of catch you in with kind of this mysterious theme and the characters are going to these weird places that don't make any, like, right. just places that are just creepy by themselves. Like, you know, sure. I can't give it too much away because that'd be a spoiler, but... Right, and I think that's kind of the saving grace of how slow it can be is that they're all, it's always doing new things. Mm -hmm. As soon as it starts to drag a little bit, they go to someplace weirder, it has some seemingly non-sequitur sequence that comes up and you're trying to figure out, like, well, how does... How does this play in mm -hmm. into the, the bigger picture here? So it's always evolving. It's always kind of moving forward until the last like 20, 30 minutes of this movie just goes all in. Yeah. And it's like, what what happened? What is this? Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Yeah. And I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's when it really kicks off. And this, you mentioned it uh, last night. This was kind of the big break for, for Naomi Watts. Well, right. And in I, terms of her career. For sure. And I can see why having seen it. I think... The performances in this movie across the board are great, but she is the obvious standout. She displays a huge, huge range, and I think it's demanded of, of an actress in this role because, like we had, we've been saying, there's so many different things that happen in this movie. There needs to be an actress who can be kind of cheeky, tongue-in-cheek, almost B-movie, goofy, but then she can be funny, too, and kind of sexy. Uh, she can be angry and depressed and scared and really emotive and she does all of these things throughout the movie and it's pretty amazing because if you were to watch the first 20 minutes of this movie and turn it off you would think like wow that was a really corny cheesy like hallmark <laughs> level performance yeah. but that plays into what the movie is trying to say I think mm -hmm. because there's so much more she gets to do throughout this movie yeah and she really, I think her range of emotion was exceptional too, and she does a good job. So, and she's still around, still making movies. Yeah, big time. And yeah, and and other character. There's a lot of characters throughout this movie, and a lot of them are very kind of strange and idiosyncratic. And um, some of them pop up for a scene, if maybe a scene or two, and they're gone. But I think it it, it works for the most part in terms of its casting and performances. Well, yeah, I was looking at the cast for this movie in, in preparation for this episode, and there's most of the cast, when you look at some of the names on there, they're in there for like one or maybe two scenes in the whole movie, and they mix it up quite a bit, and, and that was another kind of strange thing about this movie. But it really is those main three characters with Naomi Watts, Laura Herring, and Justin Thoreau. That's pretty much the whole film is those three people. Right. Yeah, they are definitely the main characters. But so... What do you think, let me throw a question at you. Sure. What do you think, if anything, this movie's trying to say? And with that, do you think this is a movie that necessarily needs to be understood to, to enjoy it? I don't, I think that it, let me an answer your second question first. Okay. I think that it doesn't need to be understood to be enjoyed because the misunderstanding is almost an entertainment element, in my opinion. Right, right. So I think what this movie's trying to get at with the two main characters, I'm not really sure, but I know with with Justin uh, Thoreau's character, they are talking about Hollywood and kind of how these people in these, you know, ivory towers literally 
in these kind of separate control their yeah. world that they're they're living in. But I think it in if anything, what I what I've drawn from it is that um, you know Laura Herring's character is kind of like the, tainted, the amnesiac. And, yeah, she's she's kind of tainted, and Naomi Watts is really innocent. So maybe the loss of innocence. Sure. And how people get dragged down by this. There's just a lot, like, yeah, to a bunch of messages you could kind well, of discern. I totally agree, and it's kind of the when if if you were to ask me the same question, and I if you were to have blindsided me like I just did you, I would stumble too because it's it's tough to say. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, absolutely. Uh, Justin Thoreau, his character is the easiest to pin down, and I think if you look into the, the history of this movie, that makes sense because he very this originally was conceived as a, a, a TV show or a pilot for a TV show. And the studio intervened a lot and made him change this and that. So I think some of that comes through there. Mm -hmm. And there's a big element of kind of satirizing Hollywood. And yeah, we have the bright-eyed, innocent character played by, played by Naomi Watts move to Los Angeles and try to make it big. And she kind of clashes unknowingly with this amnesiac character who may or may not be related to everything going on and you mm -hmm. kind of see how that changes her perspective and she kind of doesn't destroy her life in the sense in the traditional sense but there's like little bits and pieces that they kind of get at that and you're right. mentioning too that the director and, and writer david lynch says in the opening sequence you can figure out the whole movie mm -hmm. but i i mean i thought about that over and i've seen it probably a total of seven seven or eight times it's a weird opening and scene. it's it's yeah it's a very odd opening scene and i don't get how that translates to the whole movie maybe so, there's interpretive dance going on maybe <laughs> i have I no idea know. i really have no idea but yeah it's a tough movie and like i said with with me personally one of the reasons i like this movie so much is because I always feel like any greater meaning is just out of my grasp and it makes me want to watch it again. And I think you can watch this movie more than once. It, the first time you see it, try to make sense of it. The second time you see it, just put it out of your mind that this makes any sense and kind of just go along with it and you'll appreciate mm -hmm. the style of this movie, which is very kind of dark and noir influence and very mysterious. Um, so I think you, there's different states of mind you can watch this movie, but if you want to get a concrete line in the sand of this is what this movie is i don't think it's ever going to happen no and naomi watts kind of has an interesting history with really odd films yeah, yeah. she was in 21 grams which is another really odd movie yeah. with and, that, Sean that, Penn. and that was directed by uh alejandro alejandro in yeah yeah she was in for an oscar for that i believe yeah i really like that movie yeah but that was another one where it's kind of like you get it but you don't yeah, and it's it's very odd, but yeah, again, this is a a really odd one, and it definitely though has a huge cult following, big time, like a major cult following. And Criterion Collection felt it was right needing their well, because I don't requirements. Think we shouldn't fool anybody here. This movie was a success when it came out. I think you know recently we talked about The Witch. It in a lot of ways was a movie similar to that, and that critics and quote unquote film lovers really liked the movie, but it was sort of lost. And general audiences but it's just not the type of movie that it doesn't care about whether or not you understand it and mm -hmm. I, I think for for that reason this is the kind of movie where when somebody if somebody walks up to me and says they hated it they thought it was boring they thought it was garbage I get it I'm like absolutely I can totally see that but you know uh, I, I personally find a lot to enjoy in this movie and yeah Criterion's blu-ray remaster of this is phenomenal beautiful I'd only previously ever seen it on Blu-ray at best. 
Mm-hmm. And it looked like a million times better. It was on Netflix Instant for mm-hmm. a while, but it's not anymore. Yeah, I don't. I think I missed that window. But yeah. yeah, I'd only ever seen it. So to see it, I was just blown away. And it's kind of got a, it's kind of got like that old Hollywood type look to the movie too. It's it's it, there's a lot of depth to it, especially in close-ups on the face. But it's it's kind of a soft-looking movie and kind of a romantic-looking movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I think maybe that changes a little bit in certain scenes. But it's a, it's a, it's an interesting film. Total a total and complete mind trip. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it fits for obsessions because you know, like we both said, this is a movie that we've seen a bunch of times, mm-hmm. and you just kind of want to want to understand. But I don't know. I think it does drag, and that's a big issue for me. I'd give it an eight point five. Okay. Out of, out of ten, it's not a big issue in the sense like I give it a five, but no, eight point five. I think it it. Again, I need to understand it more, and if I did understand it more, I feel like I'd rate it higher. You gotta be in the mood. Too. Yeah, and and that's and, the thing and too. Knowing that it's slow, m- it makes it maybe kind of hard to be like, I want to watch Mahalo Drive today. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Maybe if you're, this would be a good movie to watch if you, like, have to stay home sick from work and you like have a fever. Like this would be a great movie to watch when you're kind of out of your it, mind on yeah, medicine. Yeah, it feels. And if if no, if people out there don't know what we're talking about, like fever dreams are just these lucid, almost yeah. reality-based... I've had some weird fever dreams. Yeah, where you're just perceiving things around you as kind of one step removed, and mm-hmm. you're kind of looking from the... like It's almost like you're watching yourself go through the motions, and you're analyzing things differently, and things just seem strange. It's just... It's a bizarre, freaking movie. Yeah. <laughs> the weirdest fever dream I ever had was that I had a flu like four years ago, and I, my dream was that I was, I could only walk upside down. So I was walking on the ceiling and the fan was magnetic and it was sucking me in. That's terrifying. And it was, it was so terrifying. And I was like in my bedroom where I had laid down. It was like I had woken up and this, this was how I was. Yeah. But that's, that's this movie though. In yeah. a nutshell. Fever dream. For sure. Yeah. So that's, that's the Obsessions movie. Again, not for everyone. Interesting movie though. I think it's a, it's a kind of movie that will always have its place in cinema. And, and David Lynch is certainly the, a director that people talk about, especially in conjunction with surrealist movies. Mm-hmm. He's kind of the he's kind of the, the the face of surreal cinema, at least in terms of ma- mainstream knowing who he is. Yeah. So what? And one question I had for you was, what is cri- like? What are the requirements to be a Criterion film? Cause they they are just a they are an ind- independent distribution company mm-hmm. who picks movies that they consider to be historically or aesthetically important as films, movies they consider to be important, movies they consider to have some sort of artistic value that may be heightened from other movies. Um, I mean, it's it's ultimately a subjective decision because it's a privately owned company. But uh, yeah, they. I mean, there's a lot of art house movies and stuff there's a lot of classics in there and ever you know they pick a lot of newer release type films as well um like a, a director like wes anderson a, a director like terrence malick gets mm-hmm. a lot of his movies those are two contemporary directors but if you're going back in time people like akira kurosawa who did seven samurai yeah a lot of his movies are uh, on there as well ingmar Berg- bergman who did the seventh seal the virgin springs uh, Fanny and Alexander. I mean, they, they, it's just a lot of people would look at them and say they're a bunch of art house snob hipster people.
people. And I guess that's valid in a way, but I, I mean, that's if you want to be pretty short-sighted about mm -hmm. cinema in general. But they just pick movies that they consider to be uh, more artistically creative or, or valid. But it's, again, it's, it's totally personal. Because movies like Armageddon are in there as yeah, well. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, that's so... This is Spinal Tap, so it's not like it's all artsy stuff. They mm -hmm. just, they pick movies. Uh, help, the Beatles' Help is, is technically a Criterion movie. But uh, they're mm -hmm. a really great production company who has a reputation for putting out super high-end releases of these movies. Whether yeah. you like or hate them, they kind of put out the ultimate editions of these movies. Because I think on, if you look them up on Wikipedia, like Wikipedia's definition is that they're a, a DVD production and distribution company that's geared towards film, what are called aficionados. Right. But And that, that word can kind of get discerned in different ways. But I think it's just, if you're enthusiastic about a movie like both we are inside Lou and Davis. We're, I'm pretty sure both obsessed with. I know I'm obsessed with that movie. Mm -hmm. But that is that, a criterion. That is a criterion release. I think it, they kind of gear towards that with movies that I know my dad is obsessed with. The Seven Samurai. I just saw that for the first time like a month ago. Really, it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. It was. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Oh, I multiple, multiple I was. Times. I was. I loved it, but mm -hmm. I was expecting like a way bigger movie. Like mm -hmm. it's long. It's like three and a half hours long. But I was expecting like an epic in terms of like hundreds of soldiers. And there's some moments that are like that, but it's like really focused on like a pretty small group of characters. Mm -hmm. I was like totally surprised by that, but I really enjoyed it. It was a great movie. Yeah, one of the classics. For sure. If you actually look up the Criterion Twitter feed, like hashtag Criterion Collection or hashtag, it's like almost all people tweeting about Seven Samurai. For some reason. Hmm. Don't know why. People are obsessed with that. Maybe we'll have to do an have that be a future obsessions. I'd watch that again. I don't know if I'm obsessed with it, but I could watch it again. Yeah, and I don't know that I'm because it's that's one that's easier to understand. Well, yeah, right. You know? Well and even if a movie doesn't have to be hard to understand to be obsessed with, I just feel like one of the things with Seven Samurai and we're going way off on a tangent here, but that's okay. Yeah. Is um that's the kind of movie that I think is easier to appreciate than enjoy because so many elements of that movie were influential on westerns and action movies that a lot of the I mean it's going to I mean it's black and white it's from like the 50s it's going to be just unbearably boring and dated for a lot of people but it's the kind of movie that is super influential with action movies and character driven mm -hmm. you know action thrillers and stuff so I think I don't think I could ever be obsessed with it just because I've seen so many other movies that have copied elements that it invented. You know what I mean? Does that make mm -hmm. sense? No, that does. And I think that is very formative. It's kind of like if you enjoy going to museums, which not all not all people do, you, you're going to enjoy Seven Samurai. Sure. Because it's, it's so historic. It's so tied to these like essential, you know, hit things that we even see today in film. So Versus something like Mulholland Drive, which I... I don't know any other movies that are like this. Mm -mm. So for me, it's a movie I can obsess over a little bit more just because I can't think of very many movies to compare it to. Mm -hmm. There are apparently a lot of errors in the film. Like there's a lot of misshoots. There's a lot of like where there's mirrors, there's crew crew people in the Mahalo film. Drive? Yeah. Oh. I've always, I read a whole thing about it's different. And it's not like errors where like, you right. know. Your TV. There was unintentional things that yeah. made it into the final cut. Yeah, and that's sure. there's I guess there's like a few of those. Some of them are intentional, some of them are not. Right, right, right. And Criterion did leave them all there. Apparently. Well, they it's not their place to recut a recut movie. Recut it. So they they pick the movie movies they consider to be 
you know, good and they work with the, generally if they can, they work with the director to preserve the director's vision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're not going to recut a movie. Yeah, certainly, certainly that, was, that was cool. But yeah, Mulholland Drive, 9.0, 8.5. Yep. Should be a 10 because it's an obsession. No. No, it's, it doesn't work like... So now we're going to do um, <laughs> our weekly installment by the numbers where we cover the top five grossing movies in the United States plus the occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema. It was a good week at the theaters this year. Yeah, we week, went to the movies year. this <laughs> We went to the movies this weekend. We did. So how about you start this week? Well, number five is the, the movie that we saw, which is Gods of Egypt from Lionsgate, which grossed $5.19 million. They're in their second week, and they've grossed a total of $23 million. The only issue is their budget is $140 million. Yeah. Flop alert confirmed. So we went to see this just because we were kind of curious, I think. Yep. And it just kind of looked like a dumb, fun time at the movies. And this movie is getting destroyed by critics. They yeah. hate it. But I kind of thought it was entertaining. <laughs> I, and, I, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I get the feeling I'll, I may buy this on Blu-ray if it's like five bucks. R- sure. Because it's like, it's totally visually mind fucks you. Yeah, it's crazy. And, it's the the CGI is like good in some spots. It's pretty bad in other parts. And then there's too. other parts where it's just atrocious. The animals and creatures look. It's just a totally geese. weird like it kind of it's so ridiculous to 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 watch that. I was just totally entertained by it, and it kind of reminded me of movies from the early two thousands, like The Mummy and The Scorpion King, just kind of action adventure movies that have absolutely no brains to them, but they're mm. kind of fun. So this just seems like a cheap target for critics to hate on because I didn't think it was as bad as a lot of people thought. Yeah. I thought it was all right. I'd, I wouldn't go to see it in the theaters again. I'd watch no. it again, though. <laughs> no. All right. So then number four in the box office this week is Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Uh, this its first week. Uh, it was a new release this last week. It made $7.4 million. So that's its total so far on a, on a pretty modest $35 million budget. I don't know much about this movie. I know it's Tina Fey. It's a comedy. It's Margot like Robbie. Oh, okay. I just got more interested. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that it's it's like her going to the Middle East somewhere, and she's like a reporter. Oh. I saw it, literally watched the trailer once on YouTube. Basically an expert. Well, it did okay at the box office. And Numero Trace is Deadpool, which was the number one movie the last time we recorded from Fox Studios. It grossed $16.7 million. This is its fourth week in theaters, and it's done pretty well. It's grossed a total of $311 million. Pretty good. On a $58 million It's like the budget. number one R-rated movie ever. Ever. No, it's done great. I think this, like, we, we've said it, I think now, we said it last episode. I think for sure they'll rush the sequel to this. Or, I don't know if they can. Yeah, I'm not sure what the, what the what's going to happen next, but it's been a huge success. Yep. And that's pretty cool. Hasn't even hit Blu-rays, or, well, they, people mostly say Blu-rays. It's only been out for four weeks. Yeah, that's it's going to do a lot of money in that, too, though. I'll probably buy it. Yeah. Uh, number two, then, is the new release, London Has Fallen, uh, which made a weekend gross of $21.6 million, uh, so a total of $21.6 million on a budget of $60 million. Uh, so it did pretty decent over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sequel to Olympus Has Fallen, you know, just a straight-up action movie. That I, I the, the first one kind of reminded me of Die Hard, and I mm-hmm. think this one is pretty reminiscent of that as well. I don't know much about these movies, but... They seem kind of like big dumb action movies, and that's that's just fine. Yeah, 
I literally had no idea what this was. I had never. <laughs> it's got Gerard even... Butler in it and Aaron Eckert. <sighs> Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. He was in Gods of Egypt. He was. CGI from the neck down. Neck down. <laughs> and number one this week is Zootopia, which grossed a total of seventy, just over seventy-five million dollars, which is its um, total gross. Budget is not listed. It's probably a big budget, but I also read that this was the <clears throat> biggest opening weekend for an animated Disney movie ever. So that's pretty amazing. Wow. I mean, I'm sure it'll stick around too because the, the the reviews on this have been super positive, and people are saying it's one of the best movies of the year, and it's it's just a great movie. Um, and I want to see it, but I'm always kind of behind on animated movies. Yeah. Let's so. see if we have a budget here. No, no budget except internationally. It's earned a total box office of two hundred and seventy-three million. I would guess it's around one hundred and fifty million for the budget. Would be Probably. my guess. Maybe a little bit more, uh, seeing as that it's Disney. But yeah, I mean that's going to be. We're going to be seeing Zootopia in the top five for four or five weeks. I bet. Yeah. So. So that's by the numbers. By the numbers, we got one I'm... one release that I'm coming out this weekend. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I'm kind of interested to see how it performs at the box office just because pretty much nothing is known about that movie. Mm -hmm. I know reviews are starting to trickle out, but I'm staying away from them because I want to go in blind. I don't want to hear anything about it. And the previews don't really spell out anything other than there's a bunker involved. And John Goodman is in it. Yep. I like John Goodman. I love John Goodman. All right. Well, that's our section of our movie of the week and by the numbers. When we come back, we're going to do two albums this week and yeah. some other music news as well. Yes. We have a couple cool things to talk about. All right. Weekly Neurosis. We'll be right back. Treadmill fails. Uh, welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. Now it's time for Album Obsessions. Album Obsessions. few music items that are important. Yes. Sad but important, unfortunately. But um, who wants... Do you want to go first? Uh, you can go first. I'll go first. So we're going to do our, um, our albums that we're obsessed with. And this is the first go-round of this. But um, I'm picking 2001 by Dr. Dre. And Ethan, you're picking... Uh, now Here Is Nowhere by Secret Machines. So we'll each cover an album. So the album that I did um, was Dr. Dre's 2001. It actually wasn't released in 2001. It was released in 1999. Um, it didn't become really popular until 2000 and even into 2001. Um, but when I when this came out, I was actually 13. So that, that instantly dates me. I was nine. You were a, a nine-year-old child. <laughs> I was a 13-year-old man young man at that point <laughs> but yeah it came this this album came out and it was actually the second album studio album by dr dre and in order to really understand the importance of this you need to understand the context of his career mm -hmm. he was in nwa everyone hopefully saw straight out of compton it was a good film but he came out of nwa and he released the chronic and then he released 2001 and this album actually there's quite a controversy around the title of it because it's officially titled as 2001. However, the logo is a little weed symbol 
with 2001 next to it. So some people call it Chronic 2001. But um, the first song I ever heard on um, off of this album was Forgot About Dre and then What's the Difference? And really, when you look at the scope of hip-hop albums and, and you compare it, I actually compare this album a lot to Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. I actually think that Kendrick Lamar did a little bit of a better job because he bent a genre. I don't think Dre really bent a genre with this album. Yeah, okay, and I shouldn't step on your thing here because I no, don't... No, I, I think this should be interactive. I'm not really familiar with this, but that's kind of unfair to knock Dr. Dre for that because this was 1999. Kendrick yeah. Lamar had 16, 15 more years of, of, of genre, you know, b behind him between this and that. So he had but more it, to work with. To me... Dre got famous off of what's called the G-Funk. That was the style of music. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not trying to knock him by saying this, but I, I put I put To Pimp a Butterfly above 2001 sure. for that reason, is that he didn't do anything different, but this album is so exceptionally well-produced. I think you'd be really hard-pressed to find an album that was better produced than 2001 um, from just the, the beat perspective of the... I mean, this is probably, I have to think, one of the top ever instru instrumental versions of an album that ever sold. I mean, it, it sold a ton of copies of that. I think a lot of people would say the same thing for The Chronic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that too. Yeah. Um, and I read, I, when I first heard about him, I researched a lot about how he makes beats and how he goes through the process. But this was, this was an album that I've been obsessed with for a long time. And a lot of people are going to know the big hits like Still Dre, Forgot About Dre, the next episode with Nate Dogg at the end. Uh, but there's a lot of little, little, you know, songs in there that kind of are, are, are really good. But it, you need to listen to it as a whole. It's actually a pretty long album when you put it all together. It's like 68 minutes. Wow. But he actually designed this as a movie feature. That was his in his mind what he was actually creating. So it actually ties together as kind of a full story. And each song kind of ties into the next. So it's not, even though there were a lot of singles that got a lot of airplay, it's an you, album. If you listen, yeah, if you listen to it front to back, it is the true definition of an album. Um, critically, really well received, received with most people giving it either the max or or close to that. But um, the songs I'm really obsessed with are "The Watcher." That's a, a really good one. Explosive. Um, obviously, the the next episode because that's kind of a, a timeless timeless hit. Um, and then part of it that's kind of humorous is they have a skit called Pause for Porno, which the album's very serious up to that point, and then it kind of goes from there. But then it What's wraps... in that? What's in that? What do they do? Is it it's dirty? Like, yeah, it's like dirty stuff. So it's like uh, uh, Notorious B.I.G. Kind of, yeah, very similar. On the, the, one, the one track in Ready to Die where it's it gets pretty explicit, and it's yep. like, whoa, okay. Yep. Cool. Same difference. And then it ends with the message. But 22 tracks in, in this album. Um, but again, really, really a timeless hit. And I guess why I'm obsessed with this album, you kind of have to look at the time frame. I think about two years prior to this, I had received Paul's Boutique mm -hmm. on a burned CD. And that was like the first real like influence of hip hop. And it was like MC Hammer and a lot of that like crappy music. <laughs> not, I'm not saying Paul's Boutique was crap, but MC Hammer and that kind of say, man. poppy stuff. But I heard Paul's Boutique and I was like, this is on such a higher level. And then to hear this album at the age of 13, it's so exceptionally produced, so well put together. It flows, it, they say 22 tracks, 68 minutes. You can listen to this album 
all the way through and it's perfectly entertaining it keeps you you know interested in, in different spots and the beats the production everything is just exceptional awesome that's cool. So, I mean, are we doing ratings then? I can't rate this because I honestly don't. I'm not familiar. I mean, with if it. I if I really had to rate this, I would honestly say this is a ten. Nice. Okay. You know, because it it's so it just flows so good. And when you look at there were four singles released on it, all of those are are like cult classics. I'm sure you find those on a ton of people's playlists. You know, but then there's songs that aren't on that that are even bigger than that. Like, what's the difference? which was with Eminem and Exhibit, that went on to be a, a huge kind of underground hit. Not a lot of people know that song, but it's it's an excellent song. It kind of made, kind of blew up Eminem even further. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'd have to probably get, I'd give it a 10. And awesome. And I can justify it. Yeah, no, yeah, and this is, I'm not, like I said, I'm not familiar with it, but it's, I'm, I mean, I'm not personally familiar with the, the music, but I am aware of its existence and its continuing popularity and its, mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of place as a classic in the genre. So it's one I should listen to more, and I probably will. Give it a shot. Having heard you talk about it. So. Well, it's, it's a past, to kind of preface it for people out there, it's a past style. Like, it's not current. It's it's very it's very much a, a timepiece, which was that, mm -hmm. you know, 99 to like 2003, 2004 mm -hmm. era. So, sure. Yeah, that's my, that's my album that I'm, I was obsessed with. Awesome. When I was a little teenager. Nice. What about you, man? All right, well, I'll move on to mine then. And I am going to talk about the album Now Here Is Nowhere by The Secret Machines. And I'll uh, read a little bit here about the band itself because this isn't, unlike Dr. Dre, this is a group that I don't think ever received much uh, notoriety or, or infamy, or, uh, unfortunately, any fame because I just think they're one of the greatest bands of their kind that I've ever heard. Um, but okay, so the Secret Machines—they were slash are a three-piece alternative slash psychedelic rock band that originated in Dallas, Texas. <clears throat> they released three studio albums before their ultimate dissolving in 2010. Two of the founding members were brothers named Brandon and Benjamin Curtis. Although Benjamin, uh, although Benjamin departed the band after their second album was released in 2006. Uh, unfortunately, Benjamin also passed away in 2013 at the age of 35 from a rare form of blood cancer. Um, and while the band isn't officially broken up, now there hasn't been any news or anything concrete about the group since 2010. But if it's kind of odd if you look at a couple different places, they are technically still listed as an active group. Hmm. But uh, I do not think anything will come of it. Uh, their style is generally described as somewhat of a progressive, progress, progressive rock mixed with psychedelic rock, spacey jams, uh, very melodic anthems, and some electronic influences as well. Uh, and this particular album, Now Here's Nowhere, was the band's debut full-length LP released in 2004. And upon its initial release, it was actually very highly regarded. Places like Entertainment Weekly, even a somewhat earlier version of Pitchfork, gave the album very high marks and it was uh kind of they were kind of put on the to watch list like this is a band to watch and my first exposure with this band was back in the day you know when i lived with my parents and all that i was i was 14 when this album came out and um i first heard this band i was watching vh1 and at the time i don't know what they do anymore because i don't watch tv anymore but 
they would play music videos. There would be like two hour blocks of music videos and that was a place to kind of discover new music and this, the music video for the song uh, Nowhere Again came on and it, it blew me away. The music video was super cool. It's the band playing on this kind of bare stage but the whole wall behind them has these lights and the lights are kind of going along to the music and if you hear the song Nowhere Again, it's just this super epic, you know, catchy rock and roll song with, the, with these great lyrics and really passionate vocals and stuff and it just totally sucked me in. So I went out and, and you know, I got the album as soon as I can and ever since then, 2004, this has been one of my favorite albums. I listen to it all the time. I always have a copy of the CD the same one I bought in 2004, I keep it in my car all the time because I always feel like listening to it. I got a, a vinyl of it a couple years ago. I had to get it imported from Europe because it never got pressed in mm -hmm. the US, so I had to buy it from somebody over there. But uh, this is just an amazing album. It's uh, nine tracks, it runs about 50 minutes, just under an hour, but it does definitely kind of follow in the steps of bands like Pink Floyd. And yes, in that the album is very meant very much meant to be listened to front to back. However, there are songs in here that can be picked out as well. But the way I like to describe this album to people is that I call it headphone rock. It's a really great album to put on headphones and listen because it's mixed and produced just so well. It's, things are going on on both channels going back and forth. And there are some songs that are these big jamming uh, anthems with huge bass and just awesome guitar riffs. And then there are some very kind of quiet ballads with trickling piano and electronic melodies coming in and out of it but uh every song on here all, all nine songs have memorable melodies uh the vocals on the album are they're sort of I, I don't know how to describe them they're sort of childlike they're sort of a, a a lighter vocal but the lyrics are always really good there's a lot of lyrics that kind of revolve around isolation and uh maybe loneliness and stuff but it's always kind of hopeful um when I was 14, that was very uh, <laughs> desirable when I was a little bit younger. But, mm -hmm. you know, I absolutely love this album. I've listened to it so many times. I'm just so familiar with every song. It's just every time I listen to it, I, you know, I feel like I'm visiting, you know, something that's a real part of my life. It's just produced perfectly. It's shiny. It's precise. It gives the, the, the record just an unbelievably beautiful and awesome song. Um, I think if I had to pick a couple of favorite songs in here, the opening song, First Wave Intact, which I believe is also the longest song at about nine minutes. And it's this really kind of cool, it's kind of driven by this really low, simple bass line with these big drums. And it kind of, it, just like the title implies, First Wave Intact, it kind of, the song kind of comes in waves. And the chorus is this big, loud thing, and it crescendos into this amazing ending. Uh, and then the second song in the album is Sad and Lonely, which is kind of a Led Zeppelin, more of a Led Zeppelin type rock and roll song. That's really good. Uh, Pharaoh's Daughter as well, which is a, more of a ballad on here. But again, it builds to this very grand, awesome, psychedelic rock jam. And then the very last song, uh, the title track, Now Here Is Nowhere, kind of is a perfect way to end the album because it takes a lot of elements from other songs and blends them together. And it's kind of, you know, the epilogue, the, the true ending to the album. But... I love this album, man. I've listened to it so much and I, I try to recommend it to people because people just don't know about this band. Their second album, while it was critically well received, and I really like their second and third album a lot as well, mm -hmm. they just kind of teetered off. They, they just never caught on. People never, the uh, general audience has just never embraced them for some reason. There's got to be like hundreds if not thousands of bands, like even I'd say 
post what 2005 or 10 that, it, that this has happened to you because i just looked at their like just a little bit of info on them and i mean they toured with some major heavyweights mm-hmm. uh foo fighters spiritualized oasis interpol m83 and kings of leon right i'm um, and many others and i for me i get it give them a huge credit because one of their influences is actually kraut rock and i was I should say I became a fan of Can yeah. due to my dad liking them and also the movie Inherent Vice. Certainly. But, um, yeah, I'll have to check these guys out. This yeah. is cool. We've introduced each other. Well, you, I didn't introduce you to that album, but you'll check it out now. But, the, yeah, this is just essential listening. And if I had to rate it, you know, pretty obvious, I'd give this a 10 out of 10. If I had to do a top 10 albums of all time, this would be pretty close to the top. Really? I just love I just love it so much. And if look up the album cover, just Google Secret Machines Now Here's Nowhere sometime and it's it's kind of my all time favorite album cover. It's it's all white instruments in this white background in this white room. There's guitars, amplifiers, a keyboard and a you know, drum set and some other stuff going on in there, but I love it because it's so plain and simple. And I've always looked at the album cover as totally opposite of what the album sounds like. It's mm-hmm. just huge and colorful and bold. But what I like about the cover is you kind of look at it and you get kind of this blank slate. Like you kind of, and this is me digging, I, this is how much I love this album. It's, it's like the, the album cover is the band looking into a room full of instruments ready to walk in and it's a totally blank slate. Like they can pick up these fresh brand new instruments and just do anything they want with them. And I just, I just love it. I love it so oh, much. Yeah. Cool. It's a great album. I'm going to check it out. Do it. Do it to it. Yes, sir. So that was our album obsessions. That, that was awesome. Yeah, I think that's cool that we both can kind of rant a little bit of what our favorite albums. <laughs> yeah. You'll hear music from both of the, the albums. We'll both have to specifically mm-hmm. pick out a track. Oh, yeah. I'll, yes. We'll I made a, a very precise hand. Yeah, just let me know. Specific. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's been cool. So I know we're on the Obsessions album, but we do have our regular bit here, the high-priority news items. Um, one I'm sure you're really excited about. Bob Dylan announced a new... new. He's having, We've known about the new album for a while, but it's he's also announced a new tour, and the 74-year-old rock icon is going to do a 27-day tour to support his upcoming album, The Fallen Angels, which will be his, and this is amazing, 36th studio album, He's released much, much more material than that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's going to be opened by Mavis Staples. For part of the tour. Part of the tour. But, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I've seen Bob Dylan twice, and I think a lot of, unfortunately, both concerts I've been to have been great, but I think, unfortunately, most people who go to see Bob Dylan are expecting something else. Um, he's kind of fearless in that he doesn't play, he plays all of his quote-unquote hits, but uh, he plays kind of weird variations of them that sometimes are difficult to follow and understand because it's very kind of blues, lounge rock, kind of laid back. And, and he changes the melodies and just uses the lyrics. Or he plays the melodies and uses different lyrics. It's kind of a, a guessing game. And mm-hmm. I, I, from my experience seeing him live, both times I've seen him, a lot of people got quite upset because they were like, play some songs we know. And I'm thinking, well, you do know this song. You just aren't that familiar with it, which is understandable but uh i mean i'm jacked about this and i think i think that it's going to be more than 27 dates because actually he didn't announce any any concert here in wisconsin but one of my favorite venues kind of teased that they were going to have him 
So I think the tour is going to extend a little bit. Because actually the last time he toured, he played there as well. One or two songs away in terms of Bob Dylan of being like my dream Bob Dylan set list. It was incredible. It was amazing. Mm. So I'd like to see him again. And I'm always ready for, for some new Bob Dylan material because he's, he's the king. He's the king of songwriting. Insane. You'll have to get down to uh, Tulsa too to see the... Apparently that's where the the big display of his discovered oh, works that's or whatever right. his is going to be. That's right. Crazy. Bobby D. I was telling my wife though, it's so insane that he stored all that. Like he just, he had a very specific, and I guess it was all kept in like perfect condition and stuff like that too. And it's got nothing else going on. Very specific. Fun fact, people kind of look at Bob Dylan as this serious guy who's, you know, writing music and kind of looking at the world with his third eye and, you know, having all these philosophical musings. But apparently during his late 80s tour, he snuck away from his tour bus to go see Tim Burton's Batman because apparently he loves Batman. It's kind of weird, huh? Interesting. <laughs> I get the feeling he doesn't take himself too seriously. I don't know. Like, he, I don't know if too seriously is right, but he is, I think he's just kind of a cynical dude. But he's mm. 74 and he's doing this. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Life on the road. Yeah. Be a man. Your world, George Martin. Yeah, this is sad. Uh, so George Martin, uh, this was actually happened, was announced earlier today. Uh, George Martin, who, if people are familiar with the Beatles, he was uh, most well known for being the legendary producer of a lot of their music. He passed away today at the age of 90. He also worked with artists such as Jeff Beck in America, and he also worked extensively with Paul McCartney and Paul McCartney's uh, band Wings. Uh, among a couple of others, but uh, this w w was kind of a huge deal today in the music world because a lot of people, he was kind of dubbed unofficially as the fifth Beatle because he was so, he was such a part of their recording process for so, mu so much of their career and he was just, he did so many things with them in the studio that were innovative or new that pushed the sound forward and created some of these just classic albums. That uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a bummer. It's a huge loss. He was ninety years old, so yes, he was very old, but it, that still doesn't take away from you know, it's sad to lose somebody like that. And uh, so today, I was listening to the Beatles when I was at work, just in memory of George Martin. Very sad, but uh, you know, his legacy is forever there. I think. Yeah. The Beatles are one of those groups that, like I say, there's two types of people in the world: people who love the. People who love the Beatles and people who pretend not to like them to be different. Yeah, and I think I'm like the. <laughs> no, you're lying. One. But I honestly have never really listened to them. I wasn't really raised with them. I don't dislike them. I'm not like, oh, the Beatles suck because I I can't. I don't well, have an opinion. Sir, I'm gonna you. They're all on Apple Music now. I'm gonna give you like a comprehensive listening guide of where. To but now start. it's like too much stuff to listen to. So it's like, well, it's do not. I want to listen to like the new stuff? No, that's you want to listen out. to the Beatles. I promise you. Yeah. Don't look at me like that. I don't know. They're so good. They're so good. I'll probably give it a shot and then I'll, like, this room will be filled with Dude, cause that, stuff. Dude, because I, I remember when I got into the Beatles when I was in high school. It was like my uh, junior, senior year. I heard, like, Sgt. Pepper and Revolver and it, like, blew my mind. And I, all I listened to for, like, a year was the Beatles. Nice. I, could, I just bought all their stuff on CDs, these little mysterious round discs that you can't buy anymore. Oh, we should have had a Kanye watch this week because he announced that he wasn't releasing This is any... the Kanye watch. 
Are, are we doing it now? Right now. <laughs> you know, he apparently announced on Twitter that he was never going to release anything on CD ever again. And the seeing the reactions to it were pretty funny because they were ranged from, oh, this is sad, to like, oh, he released music on yeah. CD. Or there's some people who were like, maybe you should just stop releasing music altogether, period. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Kanye. I think he's just upset that Kendrick is overshadowing him. Yeah, that was one of our high-priority news items. He dropped a surprise, big quotes on album, because it's kind of... Kendrick, that is. Kendrick Lamar. Yes, sir. Kind of a... Well, it's LP kind of a... Mixtape. It's, like, his, it's called Untitled, Unmastered, and it's a bunch of songs that he didn't, he didn't title them. It's very appropriately called Untitled. And they're unmastered as well, so they're kind of rough around the edges, but they're leftover songs that he didn't... Feel like they fit on to, to pimp a butterfly to some extent and it's kind of amazing seeing mm -hmm. that these are throwaway tracks and how good this thing actually is yeah because i think it's really good yeah i mean it blew me away it'd be kind of hard to do a, a review on this because it's like the titles are all like well it's like untitled one two three four five six yeah. seven eight and then there's like dates attached to them as well but it's i mean it's really interesting how i, I almost think like the the, the, the kind of lazy production on them makes it even better to listen to because these songs weren't fully fleshed out and that's kind of why he put this out just as a side I mean I don't think this is considered a studio album mm -mm. it's more more or less a compilation of, of, of half thought up tracks but even at that to think that V this is the project of somebody who's half assing something that just, that just shows you how awesome Kendrick is yeah that he can that was my impression of it was that this is his like halfling like this this isn't even a full-fledged studio effort and i think at least from what i've heard because he did kind of a tour he did these very selective dates and locations that apparently that inspired him now to write a new album that'll eventually come out god mm -hmm. knows when but right yeah this again i think this dwarfs anything kanye west has done well and not in to just kind of stay focused on kendrick i think that him releasing this is kind—it's of, kind of ridiculous seeing that, you know, like we said, this was kind of just throwaways for him. Like, where where, where does this put him that these throwaway tracks are better? I because I personally think that of all the 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 rap and hip hop stuff I've heard this year, this is the best thing. And to mm -hmm. know that it's kind of just the throwaway thing, what does that say? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where does that put Kendrick? I don't know. It shocked me when it came out. I still haven't kind of, I don't think, fully thought about it, but I'm not really sure. He's. I think he's probably the best rapper skill-wise. Well, that's that's. I hate saying that because Lil Wayne just killed that. Why? Best rapper alive. Best rapper. He's the best rapper oh, alive. Oh, because he said it about himself. That yeah. doesn't mean shit when but somebody's... Kendrick is the best without having to say is, it about yeah, himself. I think he is, yeah, and... I really don't know where this leaves him, what, what this means, but... Well, I, I think if you know the, the YouTube critic, uh, the needle drop, Anthony Fantano, mm -hmm. I, I watch some of his stuff sometimes, and he summed up this album really nicely as basically saying it kind of felt like the period at the end of the sentence, kind of the epilogue to the To Pimp a Butterfly era, and whatever he does next will be totally different. You know what I mean? And it kind of has that fleeting feeling of he's moving on to something else. Yeah. But. I hope he does like a mega tour eventually. I'd love to. Well, you saw, you got to see him. I got to see him. I hope he does, but that wasn't like a formalized thing. When I saw him, and this sounds very odd because people 
think of him in this way and they've seen when I saw him he was legitimately nervous he totally seemed uncomfortable on stage because he said right at the beginning of the show he's like this is the most people that have ever paid to see me in one shot really because no one had ever because what's called there's a difference between a held ticket and a two and what's called a festival ticket or I forget what that's the term for that is sure but that's different because they get paid differently for that. But a held ticket, they get paid a lot more for because they're you're paying to see that one act, and that's it. Right, right, right. And that if you see if you get if you get a ticket to see the main act at the Marcus, the headliner at night, that is a specific ticket. Mm-hmm. You can't show up with a general admission ticket and get and in. go to that. Even if you have the cheapest seats in the back, you need to get a specific ticket to get in there. And what was crazy is I went to see it with my friend Greg that that concert. And we got in just before Schoolboy Q, who was his opening act, came on stage. And I thought it was super cool that I got in there to see the opening act. And if you ever go to the Marcus Amphitheater, and if you get the chance to go to Summerfest, just go, because it's awesome. But um, the uh, lawn seats were full when I got in, which was so cool. I thought that was the coolest that coolest compliment artists could receive, right. is these lawn seat folks that are like just diehard you know fans it's a pretty cheap ticket usually that's the ga folks that are like well i want to get in to see the show right that was full but awesome show but he was legitimately nervous that's he, interesting. he didn't he didn't really know what to say like normally artists kind of have like this little sh- spiel set up where they're like yeah milwaukee but but he was just kind of not he didn't really know what to say and he was <laughs> kind of doing this like you over here raise your hands up and you over here raise your hands up it was kind of like interesting. Yeah, but it was, it was cool though. That's cool. Hope he does it too. We'll go see him. I'd see him. I'd love to see him now. I just I love the dude. I think he's amazing. Throwaway tracks better than probably yeah. They'll probably be the and best. Kanye West spending three years recording an album that kind of lands like a wet fart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a wet fart. Are we doing obsessions since the whole We thing? could. I, I, yeah, I have an obsession. You go first, though. Okay. Well, I guess my my specific obsession this week, divorced of all of this obsession madness in this episode, is uh, House of Cards, season four, Netflix, premiered last week, Friday. I'm, I'm just over halfway through it, and I think it might be my favorite season so far. I want to see the rest of the season beforehand, but I've been thinking about it a lot. My, my dad's been watching it a lot, and we've been texting each other. I spoil the major thing an accident because I thought he saw an episode already. Sorry, Dad. But you, I'm pretty sure you watched the rest of it today without me, so don't spoil anything for me. But I, I love it. I think it's a great show, great drama, kind of scary and accurate in how it's portraying American politics and how many yeah. parallels there are between this fictional program and you know what's actually going on with that stuff. Uh, uh, just a really solid, solid show. Nice. How about you? Well, I finished Love. Oh, right. On Netflix. I, th- I loved how he ended it. Judd Apatow. Is there going to be a season two? Yeah. They already actually, they greenlighted it originally for two seasons. Sweet. So they ended first season perfectly, left a whole bunch of drama on the table, which I loved. That's been an obsession. Sopranos still ongoing. I'm on season four now, halfway through. Um, I think lately my biggest obsession was Game of Thrones because they had the new trailer that came out. And I just thought the trailer was awesome. They mm-hmm. did everything you could possibly ever do to, 
you know, throw bait out to all the, the geeks out there in the world. I was going to try to rewatch. I'm on season two. I've seen all of Game of Thrones up till, you know, season five or whatever. Uh, I've, I tried to rewatch all of it, but I got caught up with so many other shows that I'm like at the end of season two. So maybe I'll try to like rock it through it because it premieres in April, right? You know when? Like, is it earlier? I thought when? it was late. Was it April? Yeah. I'd assume like late April. Okay, well maybe I because vinyl's can. still in full cycle, and that's, that's right. episode four or five now. Okay. So at least seven more, and they they want to make that a standalone, and that's another thing. I watched this the first two episodes of vinyl. Love it. Really, I heard kind of mixed things about it. I like it. I like it because of the main character, and that's about it. Everything else is kind of secondary because he does such a good job of playing this like CD record executive type. I'm going to see it. It seems like the kind of thing I would like. You would. And there's a lot of historical reference. Like in the in the pilot, I don't want to ruin anything, but like they do a Robert Plant reference okay. kind of thing. Cool. But yeah. And then lastly, this mixer plugged it in today. There's a green and a red light on. That's going to be the future of this podcast. I think we landed on the, the microphones we're buying. Landed too. on the mics. So we'll get the mics up, up, and, up and running. It'll be a whole different show. Man, when that happens. How many, what number episode is this? How many have we done? 14 or 15. Woo! Woo! The 21st one, we have to get like really, really, really drunk. <laughs> okay. okay. I wasn't sure if what you were going to say. We have to get really, really That's drunk. That's like a tradition. And we're working on making the, the studio here awesome. We yeah, got some more posters. Got some posters. We got a Prometheus poster. We got some and of the a, crap out of here. Yeah, Mad Max Fury Road poster to put up and. Gonna get a standee of the dude. The dude. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, it's coming together. Yeah, for sure. Well, Weekly Neurosis, this is Obsessions Volume 1. It was good. It was a little bit more laid back. We got to kind of talk, I think we, we got to focus a little bit more on, on the albums, and we both got to talk a lot more than we normally do about mm -hmm. the specific album. Because I think we're both passionate about what we picked. And of course, Mahala Drive, which is just a... You know, a punch to the brain yeah. of a movie. Good stuff. It was. It was awesome. But that's it. Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. And I am Ethan. This has been Obsessions Volume 1. Please, everyone, take care.